Welcome to the Get Healthy Tampa Bay podcast, bringing all things health and wellness to the Tampa Bay community. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Reller, board certified family and obesity medicine physician. Please remember, while I am a doctor, I may not be your doctor. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not medical advice. Please seek out your physician for your specific needs. Here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Dr. Carrie Reller. Welcome back to the Get Healthy Tampa Bay podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Dr. Gabrielle Williams on the podcast. Gabrielle, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Again, I'm Gabrielle Williams. I'm a family medicine physician, and I've been a physician for six years now. I am from Miami, Florida, but I've been in Atlanta for about 20 plus years. So I guess I am a Georgia peach. So I uh, <laughs> went to the University of Georgia for undergrad and studied microbiology, then went to the Medical College of Georgia Athens campus for medical school for four years, and then went to Emory University Family Medicine Residency Program for three years, and now currently working at a hospital-based clinic doing outpatient care for adults. And soon I'm going to start my own medical practice, like Yay. a concierge slash direct primary care practice in September. Oh, that is coming up. That is so exciting. Congrats to you. you. I did spend some time in Atlanta as well, just like a year and a half, a little bit in life. Well, I was still an engineer and then I switched to medicine. So I actually went to Georgia Tech for a little bit, Ah, but yeah, it was a great experience. So I do like Atlanta and I was back recently. So it was kind of funny driving through all the same areas, but I'm sure it's changed a lot. Yes. Well, welcome. So uh, exciting about you starting a new practice and tell me you wanted to discuss kind of things about physical activity and lifestyle changes and what, what makes you interested in all of that? Obviously you're a physician, but what else? <laughs> so I found like when I came out of residency and working with the hospital system, I was dissatisfied because I felt like I couldn't practice the way I wanted to a lot in medicine, like the first line treatment for a lot of conditions is healthy diet, exercise, or some kind of lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. And I felt like in the clinic that I was in seeing 25 patients a day, I couldn't necessarily educate the patients and give them into story guidance. I felt like I, I only had time to like give a medicine so that I can satisfy their need of wanting to resolve whatever issue they have or get labs and get imaging or refer to a specialist, but not really enough time to educate them and then be able to have close follow-up in case like those lifestyle habits didn't help. Yeah. The current, I guess, insurance-based model is really hard to have enough time to really have those conversations with our patients. And I try to incorporate that in our practice too, but it's definitely a challenge. Right. So I commend you for finding your way and eventually starting your own practice because then you can practice on your time and decide what the patient needs best, right? Right, right. So I guess, where do you like to start when talking about physical activity with a patient? So for lifestyle, I ask, well, my goal when I do start my practice, because like I said, I don't really have much time to talk about it now, but I definitely emphasize the importance of physical activity in some kind of way every day, right? Of course, American Heart Association, American Cardiology Association, like they all recommend, hey, you uh, do cardio 30 minutes a day for five days a week, which on paper is easy because we have 24 hours in a day. Of course, we can find 30 minutes, but we're all busy. And Mm -hmm. I know I make excuses of why I can't exercise. And so 
for my patients, especially since they're older, I do recommend getting activity in some way. So like parking the car farther and walking to the store, walking in the grocery store, the kind of housework that they do, I count that as well, or counsel them saying, hey, that isn't, you know, moderate intensity exercise when you're vacuuming and going up and down um, the stairs to clean the house and things like that. So try to get them to realize that they can incorporate movement every day and not just have to have a structured 30 minute exercise plan. Although I do recommend that, of course, but meeting them where they are and saying, okay, yes, what you are doing is helpful. Let's take it up a notch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, meeting them where they are is definitely important. You can't go tell someone to go run miles when they're barely even moving. And I think some of the things you were describing, we call neat activity, right? Non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So Mm -hmm. that is parking farther from the car, moving more. And one thing I also try to say is just standing more. We're all sitting. I mean, I'm sitting when I'm doing this podcast, but some people I know have actually stand while they do podcasts. But yeah, so that's absolutely important too. And then kind of what else do you focus on or what's next? with that? Yeah, I also focus on the diet. So I understand I'm in the Southern state, so I understand <laughs> how important carbs and meat are to everyone and find them. <laughs> so currently I'm telling patients, okay, I know you can't become like a, a vegetarian or do a dash diet or whatever. However, how about not adding salt to your food? Because it's probably already salty, right? So that you don't have to add salt and try that. How about grilled foods instead of fried foods? How about if you're going to eat rice, trying brown rice instead of white rice, vegetable-based pasta like zucchini instead of regular flour pasta? Try to give alternatives and substitutions because it is hard to stop from one diet from that you've been eating for the last 30 years and then switch to another. Some people can do it, which is excellent for them. Kudos to them. But most people struggle with that. And so just um, ask them to make substitutions for their carbs and their meats. So little small changes, right? You're not telling them to revamp their entire Southern lifestyle meal if it may be something like that, but do small changes of swapping out those refined carbohydrates with the more wholesome ones like brown over white rice and things like that. And that's definitely really important. And I think the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, they really practice like a, I don't want to say vegan, but a plant-based approach. Right. Sometimes it's pretty unrealistic that your patient is going to adopt that whole approach. So meeting them where they are once again, and knowing that they're still going to eat meat and things like that, maybe choosing a leaner meat or something like that. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. It's it's not, again, it would be great if we all could revamp our lives, but we need to find something. I tell patients, you have to find something that's more sustainable because there are fad diets out there and they help you to lose the weight quick. The problem is a lot of us think it's just for a time. Okay. I'm just doing this just to get to this weight. And then I can go back to what I'm doing or just until summer. And then I can go back to what I'm doing. And so you gain the weight back. So if you're not able to sustain those kind of fad diets, then making those little changes towards that journey, towards that goal, I have found has been helpful to patients to hear that perspective. And again, finding something sustainable, even going back to exercise. Some people love to run. And some people like to do weights. Some people like to dance and that's okay. You don't have to necessarily do all of those things. Find a niche, find something that you enjoy doing so that you can continue doing it long-term and not just 
for a few months or a few days. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so going back to the exercise thing, I think another thing that's really helpful is getting an accountability partner, getting someone to do these things that you like to do, but maybe it's going dancing with someone, right? That's a little more fun than doing out your own or same thing with going to the gym or going for a walk and things like that. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be a partner, but it can be a friend or anybody else to just give a little accountability and maybe motivation to make it more fun. We want to have fun in our lives. And that actually is good for the mind too, the social interaction. So that's super important. Yeah. I like that. And then anything that's fun and you know, you can do it. (laughs) If you find it fun, I feel like it's just more enjoyable and something that you're like, okay, yeah, I can put this on my schedule and commit to it because I enjoy this time. Well, that's another good point, right? Putting it on a schedule. So you're actually going to stick to it, right? If you schedule something in, that's more likelihood that you're going to follow through. And if you schedule something in and have to meet another person, there's another thing that's going to help you stick to it. But I agree with the whole fad diet thing. Like the diet industry is difficult and you can do this short-term thing. Mm -hmm. Like I I always think of the setting the goal, oh, I'm going to go to my reunion or my wedding. And that's that's nice, but that's not the long-term thing, right? That's only going to get you so far as that and you'll probably fall off the wagon. So doing something that you can do for the rest of your life is to be the ultimate goal, right? Not so restrictive, but something that you can adapt. And one way to do is take what you're currently doing and make those modifications, like you said, that can make it more, well, even enjoyable, really. You can still enjoy those same foods, just maybe picking a healthier version of them, right? Right. Sometimes the pasta thing, it's like the sauce is really what it's more about. So if you pick a healthy sauce that doesn't have any added sugar, right? Mm -hmm. Do you really care what the noodle thing is? I don't know, right? (laughs) So the other thing is some people are worried about trying new things. Oh, I'm never going to try a zucchini noodle or a spaghetti squash, you know, but really having an open mind of these things is important too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That sauce is tasty. We can make some changes. So what we did with our kids, we added pureed carrots and something else into the sauce Mm -hmm. so that they got their vegetables. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, I'm sure it'll taste a little bit different, but not yeah. so different. So anyone out there, be an adult and kind of trick your brain, <laughs> put some pureed <laughs> carrots in there and mix it with your sauce, make it tasty and bam, you you got your veggies. Yeah. Carrots are easy one probably to hide in there because they got a little bit of sweet taste anyway. I think there's like a ragu type sauce that actually has a carrot base. I can't remember the name. It was just some recipe I remembering and I had a puree carrots up in it. But yeah, that's a really good idea. Hiding those things. If you're not a big vegetable person and you still need to be getting vegetables, right? right. So what else you got? What else do you recommend? Good sleep. Mm-hmm. Very, very good sleep. I've noticed as I've gotten older, how much sleep I need <laughs> compared to when I was younger. So I'm really big on making sure our patients get um, adequate rest. So not just sleeping for eight hours, but restful sleep. And so I've noticed with sleep deprivation comes like irritability and inability, like even decreased ability to enjoy life, decreased energy, mm-hmm. all those things. And so I'm like, Hey, if you really want to live a life of joy and to thrive, you kind of have to take care of these simple things that we take for granted because we want more time to do something else. And so making sure to turn off the lights, not bringing any um, screens in the bedroom Mm -hmm. and putting an alarm or a timer in your mind, like, okay, at this time, everything has to stop doing light activities beforehand, things that aren't 
so rigorous so that you're training your body. It's about to be bedtime. These are things that we do for kids, right? Like you try to mm-hmm. get them a bath and soothing music and lotion them and then read a bedtime story, put them in the bed. But we don't, I don't, I guess we feel like we don't have to do those things for ourselves. And I think it's even more important at this age to start a bedtime routine. <laughs> so just definitely recommending having great sleep and, and just bringing to light the importance of restful sleep. Yeah, I mean, I like that. So the routine is what you're kind of describing. And that's what you said to the kids do have a bedtime routine. And it really gives them that notification that, hey, it's time to rest. And I don't want to say rest and digest, but rest and get good sleep. And then it's the same thing for adults. And that does get lost along the way, right? Mm -hmm. We're all busy. We're moving from one thing to another. We're stressed out about things. Our mind is racing, but really getting into a routine really sets your body up for it. So turning out the lights, and kind of getting that melatonin ready to go, but also maybe something like meditation or anything like that, that helps clear that mind before you would lay down for sleep. And usually you make sure you're only using the bedroom for sleeping and not for working and things right. like that. Exactly. I can even touch on like mindfulness mm-hmm. because I struggle with, or a lot of people struggle with anxiety and like a to-do list and fear of missing out. And like, mm-hmm. there's time to go to Sleep is finally your time of little noise, and then your mind just starts running. And so tricks that I tell patients is to either write down what your anxieties and worries are and say, all right, I can't do nothing about it now because time for bed, closing the book, putting it down, say, all right, it's time to go to sleep, training the brain, like, all right, yes, I acknowledge all the worries, I acknowledge the stress, but right now is not the time to deal with it. We'll see you in the morning or something like that. And like we said, meditation, mindfulness beforehand, before going to bed, again, to ease the mind, get it ready for rest, which is wild, right? Like we have to prepare our minds for rest to do nothing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's crucial. I think journaling is kind of what you were describing and that does get all the words out, right? So whether it's legible or not, it doesn't really matter, but I think getting it out of your head is the important part. So you're not constantly waking up and thinking about it or Even if you wake up in the middle of the night, the same kind of thing, you got to go to the bathroom and then your mind's racing again. You can go through this whole routine if you have to, or at least part of it. And that can be really helpful. What else do you recommend? Of course. So the segue from anxiety about mental health. So the importance of seeing a therapist if needed, or even beforehand, things that you can do or mindfulness, prayer, meditation, journaling, whatever helps you to ground yourself so that those thoughts and worries don't take over. And then if that doesn't work, of course, going to uh, see a therapist, uh, starting medications if needed, um, having good social support system as well. So having not just accountability partners, but a friend or a confidant that you can speak to, could be a partner, it could be a friend, it could be whoever that you feel comfortable sharing what's going on. And they'll be able to like support you through it. I tell you how many diseases are conditions are worsened when you don't have that support, that social support, as well as mentally and um, mentally your brain and your behavior are just not allowing you to be able to go through those conditions or disease processes better. Right. Because there's a, I believe that our mind affects the rest of our body and not just like, Oh, the brain tells the arm to move. But also if the brain is anxious, that can lead to stomach issues. And so calming that down or at least addressing it and getting treatment so that 
you can one live better. And two, if you do have conditions, they're not exacerbated by a mind that's like running and not um, is sick you know, in such a way. I totally agree. And a good example of that, of this whole part of the topic is COVID. So people were isolated. They weren't getting out and having social interaction, especially people that lived alone or younger individuals. And that's where we saw this great increase, I think, of anxiety and depression, not only because of more diagnoses, but also social acceptance of these problems. But I mean, just the fact that people were not having social interaction, that definitely puts a detriment on your mental health. Right. Yeah. 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 So those are the, not all of like the aspects of health and wellness and lifestyle, but the big, big ones that I think people can work on even now. It's like, all right, how's my, like, what is, so what I'm eating helpful, <laughs> especially in the long term, right? Oh, uh, one thing I forgot to mention also uh, tell patients like, what do you want to look like in when you're in your 80s? Like, you want to move, be able to move around, um, be able to travel the world when you actually retire and not limited by a whole bunch of conditions. And if so, what do we need to do now to get there, to stay there, to stay functional? Not saying that things don't happen that are out of our control. Right. However, the, your, um, ba- your baseline function before having a, a major event like a stroke helps to determine what your recovery is going to be, right? So mm-hmm. those who have um, a high baseline function, they were moving around and doing doing well, independent, able to do all of their ADLs and IDLs. And if they have a stroke, they're more likely to recover and regain some function compared to those who were not moving, who maybe had other conditions that kind of cause them to be more dependent or not able to do their activities of daily living. And so if they were to have a stroke or a major event, their recovery is, is different and maybe significantly delayed. And so, so yeah, so incorporating all those lifestyle habits, your diet, your exercise, your sleep, your social interactions, your mental health will help, I think, to um, allow you to, to enjoy life, to thrive, not just now, but also for the future. Yeah, I had a um, colleague, I heard her say one time how she should ask um, a patient, how do they want to live, right? Right. right? And see what the goals are to see what you got to do to get you there. So I think you're totally right. I think it depends on your baseline status or of all those parameters that we're discussing to determine if there is a problem, how well you will recover. So that's a good point. So obviously we're, you know, we're trying to get our patients to live their best well life, right. For the longest possible time, I guess that's our goal, but also they're going to have better quality if they're working and doing these things that we're recommending and likely live longer as well. And then if the hiccup comes, the quality of life would help get them over that hurdle. Right. You, you said exactly right. Your quality of life is not just about living, but like, how do you also want to live and experience life while you're here? We all have one life, one body. Let's try to make sure that we have the quality of life that we want and deserve especially that's within our, within our control. Like these lifestyle habits are well within our control. Diabetes, high blood pressure. Yes, there are other factors like genetics, but we do have control for prevention. Right, yeah. I mean, we can only control what we can control, right? And we might as well do the best darn job we can with what we can so that we can live our best lives. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience today? Oh, no, that yeah, that's it. Well, I guess I can say like making sure to ask your doctor, hey, are is there something that I can do to 
prevent cancer, these uh, long-term diseases um, so that you guys can think of a plan now, but also, yeah, just making sure to ask, okay, hey, I have gout. Is there anything naturally that I can do? Like, and they'll tell you avoiding shellfish, avoiding the alcohol, right? Like say, all right, yep, I understand we're limited on time, but hey, like, is there any lifestyle changes or habits that I can do to help prevent this or to control this? So that you're being your own advocate, you're asking the questions, especially for those who hate medications. <laughs> I think I, I hear patients say, oh, I'm not one to like medications. I was like, I don't know of anyone who does like to take medication. So I think that it's very important to start off talking about lifestyle changes and habits first. And then if you're able to do close follow-up to follow up and see how those changes did, were they helpful, were they not helpful, if something needs to change, and that's okay. But at least we start off with a foundation, building a foundation of a good prevention and health maintenance plan and treatment. Absolutely. So yeah, being proactive about yourself, right? So that all those things that we said, the exercise, the sleep, the nutrition, the mindfulness, let's say seeking help if you need it, but also on the social support, but having like an annual wellness exam, yes. right? So getting these preventative things, like you said, okay, what can you do to prevent cancer? Sure. All of those things that I just said matter like nutrition and exercise, but also, you know, duh, you can do a mammogram, right? We can do these screening things that help or have a science evidence base that show that they are helping pick up cancer. So nice. you might see your doctor to ask these things too. get a mammogram, get a colonoscopy or colon cancer screening, maybe prostate cancer screening, cervical cancer screening. Like we have tools in place that can help prevent those two, or at least detect them earlier. So that's another component of wellness that they probably should be focusing on. Right. right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, where can people find you? Oh yes. Yeah. So I'm on all socials, r.notms. So that's doctor.notmiss. So I'm on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. All right. Love it. We'll put all that in our show notes. And thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And I hope everybody will uh, find you in Atlanta or me here in Tampa Bay area if they need a primary care doctor. Thank you. Right. Thank you so much for listening to the Get Healthy Tampa Bay podcast sponsored by Clearwater Family Medicine and Allergy. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with your family and friends. We would also love it if you took the time to rate and review us on iTunes. See you next week.